Fulltable was established to create a space for people to share their passions, be vulnerable, and celebrate our commonalities and the shared human experience. This is undermined by the racism and ignorance occurring in the United States to this day. Follow along as I sit with members of the Black community to hear their stories, their unique perspectives, and to listen as they help educate myself and others on these issues. For today's episode, I'm super fortunate to sit down with John Good. Uh, John's an Emmy-nominated poet and playwright and is the host of The Moth Atlanta. He is an incredible storyteller. I was lucky to see him here in Jackson, Wyoming, uh, when the Moth main stage came to the Center for the Arts in town. Uh, John's personality and enthusiasm are completely contagious, and whenever you hear him talk, it's you're completely sucked in. So really excited to dive into some conversations with him today. Um, if you're able to, visit johngood.bandcamp.com, and that's J-O-N. G-O-O-D-E period bandcamp.com. Enjoy. John with audio. There we go. There we go. John with video. What's going on, Will? <laughs> hey John, how are you? Oh, I can't complain, bro. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's it's a Friday, Friday and sunny here in Jackson and uh the, that combination doesn't happen super often, so. Um, <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, this is something that, yeah. I, it's funny, I think you're the voice that is interviewing people and talking with people more often, so it's uh, a chance for me to uh, have you share and um, kind of sit back and listen, and I'm really excited to talk with you today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, shoot. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, do you mind giving me a little bit more of a uh, your background, where you're from, where you're calling from, all that kind of thing? Yeah, man. I'm born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, south side of that city, neighborhood called Oak Grove, Bellamy, Blackwell. Uh, went to James Madison University, got a degree in economics that I do absolutely nothing with. And I'm calling uh, you from Atlanta, Georgia. Moved here in 97, 98, and been here ever since. Wonderful. My, my, my brother's a Richmond uh, spider himself, so I, I know this. Oh, city. wow. You of R. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a beautiful, beautiful city. Um, he, he raves about it. He's actually out, uh, out west himself now, but um, a pretty special spot for sure. Yeah, people love Richmond. I feel like Richmond is one of those cities that you, you have a greater appreciation of it if you're not from there. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. Uh, and what kind of brought you to Atlanta? Um, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to live in Richmond. <laughs> so I was like, all right, where are we going to go? And, you know, Atlanta, you know, up and moving, you know, just real progressive city. So I was like, Atlanta it is. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, so I guess the connection with uh, the two of us that, it's funny, I, I know your, your face and your voice well, um, having attended the moth here in Jackson. And so it's, it's kind of one of those beautiful moments where one person knows the other and the other person doesn't know uh, the other quite as well. So um, I would love to hear more about your, your storytelling experience, how you got into that, um, and kind of a little bit more of that background in particular uh, 
actually tonight we're having that full table. I'm too bummed you can't make it, but uh, I think the storytelling component of the di dynamics in the country right now is fascinating. And I, I'd really love to hear your perspectives and background on that. Oh uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, um, I, I guess I come up with a bunch of storytellers, not in any formal way, but my dad's, my, my dad and my uncles, they all are, they'll spin your yarn. They'll tell you the most amazing story about something that may or may not have happened that you've ever heard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up with a lot of that. And then um, I get in, when I moved to Atlanta, I get into spoken word poetry, performance poetry. And poetry is really, uh, it's just storytelling. It's storytelling, but it might be rhythmical. It's like rhythmical storytelling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you hone your craft in poetry, spoken word, you know, just makes you a better and better storyteller. And then over, you know, over the course of time, a uh, door opened for me to host the moth. And they were like, they were like, you know, when you come to the first event that I ever went to, they were like, you know, come tell a story. I was like, cool. They were like, do you have any stories? I was like, I have stories forever. I have stories till the world stops spinning. Now, what do you <laughs> want to talk about? So I went on stage and won the moth that night, told a story about actually about my dad's funeral. And um, they were like, hey, would you like to start hosting, you know, these events for us here in Atlanta? Cool. So I started hosting the Atlanta Mall storytelling events. And then uh, that led me to being able to go out and host um, events everywhere. So you know, I posted mall events in you know, California and Hawaii and London and just all over. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So, so, so that, that the Moth platform, a little bit more background on that, is what is the main uh, platform on which it's shared? Uh, mainly the moth is shared on state a lot live stages. So that's their thing is they they're dedicated to the art of first person storytelling where an individual walks on stage with no notes and tells you a story that is usually on a topic of some sort. So that is mainly what they do. Of course, a lot of people know them from the podcast, but the podcast uh, is just recordings from the live shows. So if there, there were no live shows, there'd be no podcast. Yeah, interesting. And I mean, I can be a testament to the fact that that live platform, I mean, it, it's pretty amazing to have people come on stage and share a story, like again, without notes, right? I mean, that component by itself yeah. is people really speaking from the heart and you can see them working through the stories that they tell them. Um, on the evening yeah. here at Jackson, so Jackson is, I looked it up the other day, it's something like 0.05% um, of a black community here in town, right? Mm, right. Miserable when it comes to diversity. And <laughs> it's wonderful that evening to have uh, not only yourself hosting, but we had, I believe it was three of the speakers were in the black community, and then our very own Brolin from um, town here. Yes. Uh, was I think that was super important I for I think for the community to have Brolin speaking at that event um yes it was wonderful can, can you uh can you share a little bit more about as you as you navigate those places said Hawaii uh London Jackson Wyoming is that something that yeah. um, that diversity and everything that you are you experiencing that or um I mean you know some places are more diverse than others I think that what the moth tries to do especially a show like a main stage show like you the show you saw is that they look at where they're going and they look at the voices they want to elevate and then they try to bring those voices in. 
So at Jackson Hole, as you pointed out, there was uh, myself, um, there was Roland, uh, Andrea Collier was on that show. And um, ooh, young lady whose name just escaped me from Kansas City. I think she's on that show also. Yeah. So you know, they brought a lot of, um, you know, stories from people of color um, onto the stage that night in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which, you know, you, know, you might be like, like, what? What's happening here? But, um, man, what a beautiful night. And then afterwards, getting to sit and speak with members of the community. When we had dinner after, we went to a dinner at um, a local restaurant. And a lot of people came and joined us. And it's amazing is that when you go on stage and tell your story, it gives people like license for them to tell you their story. So when we went to eat, so many people came up and they were like, oh man, I heard this story. And it reminded me of this story from my life or this story I've heard from a friend. So um, telling a story like gives people license to share their story also. And it just you know, begins this like echo chamber of us, you know, individuals just trying to, you know, understand and learn each other through our collective stories. And, and I think that when you hear a story from someone that doesn't look like you, may not be from where, where you're from, and that story resonates with you and reminds you of something from your life, it's also um, an illustration of how, you know, we have far more in common than we do differences. People like to elevate and highlight the differences but the commonality that we share, um, I think, far outweighs anything. Yes, yeah, the, it, it's it, it's fascinating to hear you say that the moth. It was an intentional decision to have that community or that select group of um, speakers or storytellers that evening come to that stage. Uh, is I think that's a beautiful thing, right? That they're saying, "Hey, we could have had." five local white guys come up on stage here and share, but to, yeah. to bring these voices to it is um, uh, pretty, pretty magical. Do you, can you speak more to the storytelling with um, how you see it, if you see it, um, and kind of how, like the power of it with what is happening right now? I know that my main, uh, let's see, my, way, my main kind of way of, hearing about things and staying up to date is social media, right? Which is not the most phenomenal uh, news source by any means, right? I, I know that to be true, but um, right. it is a live story on a regular basis from a, a million voices. And, and I think, right. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because I was talking with a friend the other day and they, they had mentioned something along the lines of, is there a modern day Martin Luther King? Is there a, a singular leader that is guiding this charge? And I, and I landed the conversation with, I, I think that because of social media, everybody has a voice now and that everybody's able to share their stories or share the stories of somebody else. And in doing so, it, I think it's harder for a single leader to step forwards um, and that it's like almost actually po more powerful that everybody has the potential for leadership. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think, so it's, it's interesting. I, I've heard Martin Luther King brought up a lot during this time, which is always so curious to me when you think of the legacy of Martin Luther King, of how much he at the time was reviled, how he was labeled a terrorist, how he was at the time considered one of the most uh, hated people in America, and then as much as people were like, they were like, well, where's the, you know, where's the Martin Luther King of now? I'm like, but, but you, you killed the Martin Luther King of then. 
you know? So yeah. wow. it's a complicated thing to wish for the Martin Luther King of now, seeing what happened to the Martin Luther King of then, which is what happens with a lot of the really, really powerful voices that emerge and, you know, come, you know, like stand above the fray and say, you know, this way, follow me, your Martin Luther Kings, your Malcolm X's, your Marcus Garvey's, go on and on and on. These voices are typically stamped out. So what you have with social media, of course, is you have a thousand voices raising at once, which um, gives you no, there's no, there's no head to cut off. So that's a powerful thing is that there's, there's, there's no leader to be stopped. But then you get into the question too of when you have like a spearhead, it focuses what your attack is. So a lot of times when they look at some of these things, they'll say, well, what's being demanded, right? As if to say what's being demanded is beyond justice, but they say what's being demanded. And there's no voice to stand up and say, this is what's being demanded, no clear one voice. It's like a thousand voices that might want a thousand different things, although those thousand things may all be justified and, you know, like reasonable wants, but it's yeah. not like, you know, one person, one body given, these are the list of things that we as a collective want. So I think um, that is a position that could, uh, work against you to some degree, but I think it's beautiful that everyone's getting a voice. Um, it's, uh, you know, yeah, it's like the gift and the curse because it goes both ways because as much as people are elevating these progressive voices, then you've got, you know, a lot of uh, non-progressive voices being raised also. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta listen to it all and filter through what's true and what's not true. You know, that's the thing about the moth is the moth uh, by their, um, their edict, it's a collection of true stories. It's that you have to bring a true story. Mm -hmm. The issue with social media is you don't know if the story is true or not. Like, you know, when Amy Cooper, without the aid of the video of Amy Cooper standing there clearly lying about this man, if you didn't have that video and she just told you her story, you know, you'd be like, oh my, a black man attacked you and your dog in the brambles and, you know, in the park. Wow. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. So, it's it's also about what voices are elevated and the veracity of the story. You know what I mean? So yes. I think that's that's where we that's where you run into so many issues with social media is discerning what is true and what is not. Completely. Is there a platform you would point someone like myself to that is uh, a more honest and kind of a true platform? Oh, no, I, well, I think on social media, what you have to do is you find the individuals that you know are giving it to you straight. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, it may not be, you know, um, you know, MC get busy at, you know, 158. He might not be telling you the most honest thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you might, um, you know, get someone like a Sean King or someone, someone that you followed and be like, oh, well, then this person gives you straight dope every time. And so it's like with anything, like you have your trusted sources, like, um, when they reported years ago, when they reported that Prince had passed away, I think TMZ reported it. The, the mm. very next thing I said was, someone else has to say this. You know what I mean? Like a CNN, <laughs> there's a source that I trust that has to say this beyond TMZ before I'll believe it. The same thing is true with social media. You can read anything and then say, all right, well, let me go look. Let me go find another source that will corroborate this or a trusted source of mine that will say something before I just you know, run off with it like this is the gospel. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that I think verification component is huge. I 
I was again talking with a friend the other day and the, the how quick things are changing is really fascinating yeah. and it, it's, it's hard to keep up with it's so for example on, on black tuesday or blackout tuesday excuse me that post a black square right that is a a, a, a symbol of solidarity right and, and, and yes it's like people who i haven't seen post in 20 years are coming out yeah. and works to post this black square right and I myself did it. I'm like, hey, you know what? I, I, I believe in this. This is something that I, uh, I am supportive of. Like, if, yeah. if this is a, a sign of solidarity, I, I yeah. support that, right? Post the square. Within 10 minutes. I, I mean, you're laughing, buddy. You know, because you know where I'm going. In, in within 10 minutes, I see a post. Don't post a black square because it's, it's, it's hiding all the important things that, that Sean King's posting, right? And all these other leaders that are, all these other people that are saying, the really important actionable items. And again, right. that, that resonated with me and I'm like, wow, you know what? Like, that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of embarrassed that I posted the black square. And so I went through and I removed it. And it's funny because it, it's, it's, the, it's the most classic example of group thinking, kind of being a sheep, right? Oh, well, they said do this, do that. Let's say right. do that. Okay. And so how do you feel about that like kind of that that speed of change as well as the the idea of intent right because in my mind right. validating it by it's out of good intent but hey I, it could not land you know people could say hey you didn't post a black square and, and leave it there because that that's the move and so it's um it's really fascinating to play through those things right now i think yeah. A person in general as well as I think especially as a white person that you are trying hard to show your solidarity and be supportive but is me having you on here right now counterproductive right and like every every moment I, I, I think about these things it can easily be like well is that wrong is this wrong and so I think that if it, if it lands with love then it's then it's okay to be making mistakes then. That's how I've, I've been trying to think of it, at least. But I would love, love to hear yeah. your thoughts on that. I think that, that critical thinking is, um, is necessary in all of these things. You got to just think about it critically. So with the black square, they're like, post the black square. Here are the reasons. It's a show of solidarity. It was begun by the music industry. It's this, you know, Blackout Tuesday thing. What happened, of course, was people would post the black square, and then they were using the hashtag Black Lives Matter. So then the issue was this Black Lives Matter hashtag is throwing... If you search that, you just get a bunch of black squares and then you're not getting the information. So that's the part that people kept saying, take down the black square because it's blocking the information. I was like, it's not. It's the hashtag that's blocking the information possibly. You know what I mean? Okay. So I have my black square up. I mean, I never put a hashtag to it. So I just had it up and left it up because it's a show of solidarity. It's a, uh, an interesting exercise in seeing if you can coalesce people around what would be the, the smallest, you know, um, this, uh, the smallest like uh, show of solidarity. Like they, you don't have to do anything. You have to leave your house. You don't have to march. You got to put your shoes on. You got to put your pants on. All you got to do <laughs> is post a black square. Can we all just do that? And if we can't do that, then how can we come together around you know larger issues where we want to come together as a group? This is this is nothing. This is the smallest barrier to entry into a quote unquote protest. You don't have to do yes. anything. So I'm like, well, this is an interesting social experiment to see if we can do it. So much like you, I did it immediately. I started to be taken down. Don't do this, don't do this. I was like, this is curious. I said, so I said, how can you 
coalesce around anything as a group if you can't even get the black square thing together. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was just very interesting. It was a very interesting thing to watch. And I was I was just interested in all of it. One, I was like, all right, who's who's what group's gonna do it? What group's gonna be against it? And what group is going to um like they can't just post the black square. Like some people have the black square and then inside of it would be like a fist or inside of it would be like something else. And <laughs> I was like, cause people, people have to do their individual thing. They're like, I have to put my individual spin on it. I can't just be part of the group and just do what the group is doing. So it was interesting to watch that play out, to hear all the different voices and takes and which is, you know, what it is. You're going to get a million, you know, a ton of that. But it makes me think of the Birmingham bus boycott where, you know, these people in Birmingham to fight against what was happening on the buses, they either walk or caught a ride to work for, um, you know, I think it's like almost a year or so that they did this. Now you wanna talk about a complicated, you know, entry into a, a protest movement and, and, and they did it collectively for so long that the, the bus company had to sit down and talk to them and say, okay, what do you want? And that's much harder than posting yeah. a black square. So no, no. I don't know, it's, it's an interesting conversation about, um, trying to find these places of unity around, you know, this common goal and this common push. And I think that's where you also run into the issue of it's a million voices instead of just maybe perhaps one voice that has like elevated itself above the fray and people can coalesce behind that voice. And maybe that voice can say, well, this is what we're doing as a group. And then the group does it. But where it's a million voices, you got, you know, a million people like, I'll do it. I won't. I'll do it. You know, it's stupid. You know, you get all of this uh, interesting back and forth. Yes, yeah, that's <laughs> the. Yeah, I completely hear you. The 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 you compose it not your pants on point. I think that lands perfectly right. It is such a low entry, low entry point to show your solidarity. Um, and like yeah, the Birmingham bus boycotts. It's like that is a a well organized, persistent, structured right. thing that like it's, it's incredible. I um. I do wonder about the longevity of certain like kind of uh, trends, right? Or um, I guess it would be specific ways of protesting, right? That big protests in the big cities right now, and actually even in small towns as well. There's one in Jackson the other day. And that is that going to continue? Is that going to be something that is as soon as the, those four police officers are indicted and hopefully they face, um, excuse me, they face the, the, like some penalties there, but that, that they are the protests going to stop right after that, you know? And so that longevity component, I think is instrumental. It, it feels that yeah. the, the, the willingness to walk from this city to this city and to participate in a bus boycott and to consistently call your senators and call your local mayor and all that kind of thing that, it it's not a one-time ordeal and yeah that, that's tough that's tough it is but you have to figure out that so this is the thing where you need this voice and this vision because you have to know what what you're fighting for so if you're fighting for the um the indictment and the conviction of the gentleman who um murdered george floyd well then that's then then once that happens then then it would be over for you do you know what i mean that's oh, what you have to look at well what are we what are you fighting? What's, what is the long-term goal of your protest? 
Now, if the goal of your protest is that, then yes, once that happens, it's over. Mm-hmm. But if, if you have a larger goal, so I, I feel like all protests have to have certain things uh, for the long run. You have to have people who agitate in the street, you know what I mean? Who like, well, people who march and protest peacefully, you're gonna have people who agitate, which they would consider like your rioters and all these people who are gonna agitate and really shake things up and cut off highways and really get into that. You've got someone who's going to stand above and speak eloquently on the subject to really, you know, put into words what everyone is thinking and feeling that people can be like, that person is saying, you know, what needs to be said in a way that I can't, but I can get behind what's being said. And then you need people pushing forward legislation that will, you know, counter, counteract whatever, you know, the injustice is. With Dr. King, what you have is all of that happening with this one person in this one group. They're marching, they're sitting at counters, they're agitating, they're, um, uh, he's speaking loudly and eloquently in a way that, I mean, even if you're not behind it, you might hear him for the first time and be like, that guy made all the sense in the world, I'm with him. And then they're pushing forth legislation, which is the Civil Rights um, Act. If you don't have all of that, then I feel like some part of it's going to fall down. So right now, I feel like you've got uh, at least the first two, you've got some speeches being made that I don't know if they're, if they're going out um, you know, to the masses in a way like a Dr. King speech would, but some people are making some very powerful speeches. And then the question is, well, what is the legislation that's being pushed forward to make, it sh- to make sure that this can never happen again? You know, or if it does happen again, there are very stiff penalties. So if the last part is the goal, then once these gentlemen are indicted and hopefully convicted and properly sentenced, well, then you keep pushing because you still have to get the legislation part done. But if the legislation part isn't happening, then once this part is over with, well, then it all, it all comes to an end until the next tragedy. Yes. Yeah, those are, I think, really good touching points that it's easy to view those as separate entities happening at different times. Like, oh, there's protesters happening here. And there's the rioters who are looting buildings. And there's a little bit more of uh, that, that anger there, or the, not anger necessarily, but um, I no, guess. they're angry. It's yeah, angry. Yeah. They're, they're mad. But there's <laughs> anger with, with the protesters as well. So maybe a little bit more disruption there, right? Um, right, right. And yeah, that they are, they are either unique entities, but at the same time, like you're saying, they're so intertwined because if if it is the goal to pass legislation and move things forward in that manner, that having the others succeed would seem to me to be imperative. Do, do you do you believe that, or is that something that? No, it's all imperative because everything, every, every action in some way raises the um, profile of the of, of the, this, the the injustice, the case, the situation. There are people who. When they see a peaceful protester, it, it, it resonates with them like, oh, man, I get that. There's some people who are like, you can peacefully protest all day. I don't care. Then there are people who are like, oh, wow, these guys are really like raising mayhem. And that's what really catches their attention. Like, like we got to do something or, you know, these people are burn the city down. And then that make that, you know, pushes them to action. There's some people going to be moved by an eloquent speech. You make a speech and they're like, oh, my God, that really hit me. I mean, everything reaches different people in different ways. And it all pushes you toward the ultimate goal. Like, it's all it's a it's a rolling current taking everyone down the same you know river toward you know the same you know ocean of you know justice that we're going for so it all works together it like you said it it seems like 
separate things just kind of happen, but it, it, it all works together. If you look at people who love Martin Luther King so much, I'm like, if you actually go back and look at what they were doing, all of it was coming together to push you toward the same goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the history component. So I was just talking with a um, friend of mine this last night, his name is Charlie. He's um, from Rwanda originally, and he came up to upstate New York, where I'm originally from, and our families kind of became a greater family, it felt like, right? He came to all of our Christmases or um, birthday parties, that kind of thing, played basketball with him growing up. And we were talking last night, and he was really emphasizing the history component. And I think that yourself as a storyteller, do you see potential for that story of history to be rewritten, to be more factual? That he was saying that the, the important parts of history are, are not taught. That, okay, like if you're in a finance class, that right. don't tell you about um, Black Wall Street, right? You don't learn that, you learn about the numbers. And that, right. um, like, oh, the Middle Passage, we all know that was a long time ago and really sad, but that it's impacting people today. And it's, that's somebody's yeah. great grandfather, you know? And so do you see potential for that history to be rewritten at this time? Well, I think that um, some of the history needs to be rewritten. Some of it needs to be written. Like some of it has never even mm. you know, been told. I think that in knowing history, of course, it helps you to really um, one, understand the, the repetitive nature of it. Like I, I posted a speech from James Baldwin. He did it in um, 1968. And that speech could have been, he could have gave us, that speech could have been given yesterday. I said, and this yeah. is, this is the tragedy. It's, a, it's 50 years later and it's the, sa it's the same thing. But you, there's a tendency to some, for some people to think that this is, this is new, this is happening now. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, this is happening now. This happened 50 years ago. This happened 50 years before that. Okay. Now, voices get louder. Um, people come into, you know, more prominence, more power, you know, with what they can do to affect that change. But they're still battling these, the same, you know, the same injustice, the same racism. They're fighting the same things. So history is an interesting thing in that you can inform people <laughs> of stories People, like people have an interesting narrative they've been given. So they'll say to you, um, like, you know, oh, why, why are you complaining? Why don't you just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? You know, that people love the whole bootstraps. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And then you can point them to Black Wall Street, to the Tulsa riot and say, well, here are black people who pulled themselves all the way up, all the way up by their own bootstraps. And then out of an anger that they had done that, you leveled the whole thing. The whole thing was leveled down. And that happened there. It happened in Rosewood. You can name city after city where black people had carved out this niche and had risen all the way up, only to find it tore all the, you know, torn all the way to the ground. So mm. when people have that narrative and then you can hit them with this history, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, nice, it's a very nice story you tell. But let me tell you what actually happens when you do that. It doesn't work that way. And the reason it doesn't work that way is racism which is what we're here to fight. So let's just get back on that. Once we get rid of the racism, then let's start the, the bootstrap pulling. Let's see what happens then <laughs> after we get rid of that. Completely. Yeah, the, the, the phrase um, Charlie and I were talking last evening about uh, that Americans all have equal opportunity but not equal equity is not true. And that, that equal opportunity is the idea that, oh, everybody came to America for the American dream. It's like, 
no, no, no. They were taken from their countries and brought here in chains and made into slaves. And it's, just, it's, it's this whole history that is, is not based on equal opportunity. And so that whole bootstrap idea and it, it's completely undermined by that racism, like you're saying. It's, uh, goodness. Well, yeah, and it's a, it's a unique experience of the African-American that there is no other group. So sometimes they'll, you know, there are these ideas of what is known as the model minority, which is typically uh, pointed to as Asian Americans. It's like, you know, these are the model minorities. Look at, look at how they've ascended and all these other things. And I'm like, but there's no other group that has come here against their will in chains. And then once you even release the chains, you put laws into place to really see if you could return them to a state of slavery, you know, like, all right, we'll free you, but what we'll put in place are the most aggressive vagrancy laws you've ever seen. So we freed you, we've given you no money, giving you no place to go. But then when we catch you just free out here, trying to figure it out, well, now we can lock you up and return you basically to a state of slavery. So that's true too. Every other group that has come here, they come, they come intact. You come with your religion, your language, your community, your sense of self, your sense you know, of what your people are. And you can actually coalesce around that and then build from that. African-Americans, that is just everything that was done to us was to, it was, it was a division game. And we still suffer. We still deal with what was done to us to keep us divided from each other and, um, you know, keep us, keep us basically it's, as much as humanly possible in a state of slavery. We still wrestle with that till this day. Yes. One of, I mean, I'll, I'll uh, let you go here in a moment. I appreciate you taking even this amount of time for me. But one of the components I think is that I've seen has been really powerful is hearing the famous athletes, right? LeBron James and Maya Moore and Candace Parker and um, Ed Reed, right? That hearing these individuals speak out about how they have experienced the racism throughout their lives, I think that really it's, um, I, th I think it should hit everybody equally, that it's something that is easy to say, oh, well, how, like, I know there's racism in this country, but look, LeBron James is doing fine, right? And it's, it's such, it, 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 right? And it's so ridiculous to hear that kind of thing posted or said, right? And so right. it's really powerful to hear those voices um, coming through and saying, no, 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 this, this, this is not a, some blacks are dealing with this, this is a, the entire black community has to yeah. overcome this. And, and just because I'm making a million dollars a year does not mean that I, I'm past this. Well, that success that they have is, is, is in spite of everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, it's not, it's not like, it's not because of, you know, it's not because of whatever, it's in spite of, you know, this that these people were able to elevate themselves and get to whatever position they've gotten to. And um, there's a New York Times, there's a show called The Daily on New York Times, where I think today's episode is called Why They Protest. And they speak to about five or six different people about the experiences in their lives where they have been discriminated against and how those experiences have led them to, at this moment, find themselves in the street holding a sign or marching. And I think that it's interesting that if you, if you have, you know, black friends, friends of, of color, you could almost sit down with any of them and ask them about 
the day, like the day they were called something out of their name or the day they realized that their, their skin was viewed differently. Like it's a, cause as a kid, you don't actually know it. Even when your parents say it to you, you hear it, but you don't know it. But then a day is going to come when something happens and you know it. And it's a, it's a jarring, heartbreaking day. Like even listening to this podcast, this one guy, kid, this one guy talks about how this cop called him a name. He's a kid and how he went home. He didn't tell anyone. He didn't know why the guy, why the cop said it to him. And I was like, and that's the thing is that it, it's so jarring. Sometimes you just don't know what to do with it. Like you don't, it's like, you don't tell anyone. You don't know what to do with it. You just have it. Like mm. even my, like the first story when it happens to me, I think I maybe told that to my mom for the first time maybe five or six years ago. And it happened when I was like nine or 10 years old. You know what I mean? And I just got around to wow. talking to her about it. Maybe, you know, maybe five, six years ago when it came out, like, oh yeah, yeah, well, this thing happened to me. I was riding my bike one day, it was crazy. But um, these are the moments, man. It's, it's, and let me just also say, I, if there's a part of me that understands this, is that white people and, and black people have a different experience with law enforcement. Like that, that when I went to college to GMU, I'm around more white people than I've ever been around in my life. So this is my first introduction to like, all right, let's, let's have a, this conversation about race a bit. And when I would talk to guys and they would be like, oh yeah, I was drunk. Cop pulled me over. Cop told me, took my license, told me to get on his bumper and he drove me home. Told me to follow him and he just drove, he got me home. Or, you know, my car broke down. This really nice cop came, changed my tire for me. And I'm like, when that's your experience with the police, and then I tell you what my experience is, you can't, you can't, you can't, it doesn't make sense to you. It's a non sequitur. You're like, like, no, that's not the police I know. I'm telling you, they're the nicest people you could ever meet, which I'm mm -hmm. like, I get why you think that. I understand that your life has been orchestrated in such a way that you cannot imagine it from the other way. You know, you can't see it. So I'm gonna tell you a quick thing. I know, you, I know you got things to do. No, no. When I'm in college, my roommate, best roommate in the world, I got named Shane Schleister, my roommate for uh, pretty much my whole college experience, white guy, really nice guy. We went to a party together one night on the campus. And it was, a, you know, the campus is self-segregated in that there are black parties and there are white parties. So he came with me to a black party. Had a good time, we danced, had a great time at this party. We leave the party, we're walking back to our dorm. I'm walk, he's walking maybe, I don't know, 10 yards ahead of me. You know, we're just kind of walking, straggling home. He walks past campus security, keeps walking. I get to campus security and the guy says, let me see your ID. And I'm like, for what? And he was like, to prove that you're a student here. So my roommate comes back with his ID out. He says, here's my ID. And he says, I don't need to see your ID. I need to see his ID. He's, and my roommate says, well, why do you need to see his ID? And you don't need to see my ID. We're both just walking down this sidewalk. And then this, the, the, the campus security guy, in a, I think in a moment of realization for himself says, okay, never mind. both of y'all just go, just go. And then he leaves and we, we both leave. And my roommate is so affected by it because I think it's one of his first like real views of you know, how people will discriminate just randomly based on color or nothing else. And he looks at me and he was like, that was ridiculous. Like, is it, is it always like that? And I remember saying to him, oh, that was nothing. That's, that's, 
that's an easy day. Like if that's the worst that can happen to you discriminatory wise, I like that's I like they're people who don't survive that encounter. That you know, they don't survive it. And for him, I think it was one of the more informative interactions, you know, that he had dealing with race up to that point in his life. That's a that's a powerful story. I I, I think that yeah, I mean yeah, it's it, uh, not not much I can say to that. It's a um, as a white individual, there are yeah moments like that where you're you're what what do you mean you deal with this all the time? And that that that's bridging that gap somehow, and to having people understand what that's like on a daily basis. That that that's something that I don't know how how you do, and you know I I don't know how that is expressed in a way that. Oh, now I understand, right? It's like, well, you haven't lived it every single day, so how could you possibly understand it? I mean, right. I, I talk with my my brother. My brother lives over in Russia, and in a very small way, but he talks about his friends in Russia, right? And I'm like, I, I can't understand. I, I don't, I don't know their faces, right? Even as simple as that, just purely being right. a different location than somebody, you. You can't understand what walking down the street to his house is like. You can't understand the food, the restaurants. Um, right. To pay, make, that's a purely based on um, where you're living and some distance between you. But this is like a your neighbor is experiencing a whole different world than you. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, any any last thoughts for me, John? I uh, I mean, again, thank you so much for for taking the time. It's um, eye-opening, and I, I, I look forward to talking with you again more soon, I hope. I'd love to have you sit in on a full table um, in the future. Yeah. And, um, if you end up ever come through again with uh, the moth, please be in touch. I would love to, uh, love to see you in person. Oh, that would be great. Yes, absolutely. Um, no, I mean, I guess my parting thoughts for anyone is that, you know, these are, these are complicated times that um, there's a, a, a famous quote that says, like, you know, um, a riot is the voice of the unheard. And there are people who've been unheard for a very, very long time. And people have tried to make you hear them in, in, in every way possible, you know, in every peaceful uh, kumbaya way they could do it. They were like, can you, you know, will you listen? And people are like, no, we won't listen. And so then they were like, well, all right, then let me let's see if you'll listen now. Let me, let me do something else then. Like one way or the other, you're gonna listen. You're gonna hear what I gotta say. And we can do it this way or we can do it that way. I mean, I, to me, when people were like, um, like why are people, you know, uh, you know, some people would be like, it's an uprising in the streets. We'd be like, it's a riot in the street, whatever you wanna call it. They'd be like, why are people doing this? And I'm like, well, you know, I was like Colin Kaepernick tried to take a peaceful knee and, and, and people had so much, they were like, no, no, don't, don't protest that way. And then you do this, you're like, no, no, don't protest that way. And I'm like, what you really want to say is don't protest. That's what you really want to say, but that's not going to happen. You're going to get it one way or the other. And, you know, famous book by James Baldwin called The Fire Next Time, when he was like, you know, people have tried to do it peacefully. It'll be the fire next time. And I keep telling people this, what you're looking at, this is the next time. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, I, I, um, I'll, I'll be tuning in to your, I, I've been following you on social media, again, social media um, for uh, the time being. And um, I, yeah, I, I look forward to talking with you more. This is uh, the, the beginning of the conversation, right?
Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, have a great day. You too. Send some of that sun this way because it's raining here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's uh, sunny but not super hot, so we'll do a little switch, switch on that one. <laughs> it's raining and it's super humid. So, yeah, send, that, send all that this way. Send all that this way, bro. Perfect. Thank you, John. Have a great day. You also. Bye.